Today we have a very special guest joining me. Lisa Johnson, well known for being the passive income queen, is a business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. She is a straight talker, an insightful thinker, and a passionate believer in working smarter, not harder. Lisa's strong, authentic, and real business values has built her a hugely loyal and engaged audience and social media following. Her fans also follow her incredible personal success as 80% of her income is generated from passive and semi-passive income. In today's conversation, we are going to journey through Lisa's business growth, discuss how she still suffers from imposter syndrome, although she does not love that term, how she created a seven-figure business organically without Facebook ads, and so much more. This conversation is packed with a ton of insight, tips, and learnings throughout. You are not going to want to miss it. You are listening to the So Driven Podcast with me, your host, Serena Dodd. Each week, we will dive deep into the inner workings of leaders. We will talk about their story, their challenges, their triumphs, and ultimately, what drives that quest for success. Wanting to listen to a corporate type of approach to leadership? I'm afraid you're in the wrong place. Here, we like to be raw, a bit silly, progressive, and 100% unconventional. Lisa Johnson, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast today. I can't tell you, like I started to write the questions earlier and I just, the more I started to write, the more excited I got, just <laughs> it started to spiral and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for her to get on this podcast. So thank you very much for coming no, no, on. I'm really pleased to be here. Sorry that I look like a pilot in this headset, but it's the only one that works well. <laughs> <laughs> Look, whatever works, no one's seeing this, so we're fine. Well, that's always good. (laughs) (laughs) So, how was Dubai? Yeah, it was lovely. It was really nice to spend New Year actually doing something normal. 2020 hasn't been normal, and I haven't felt normal throughout it because I'm one of those people that loves to travel all the time and haven't been able to. So, to actually have like a New Year's Eve with people, and yeah, we were socially distanced, but we were with people and we were outside was really, really good. And then the day we got back, it locked down again. Yeah, it's a real sort of hit straight back into reality, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really was. And then it was like, and this time you're homeschooling again. <laughs> God, I have so many plans that do not involve having my children at home. <laughs> I think we all came into this year thinking it's going to be a bright, fresh new start, which I think it is in so many ways because we can see this sort of light at the end of the tunnel. But before we get to that light, it's almost the slowest part knowing that freedom's coming, but it's just going to take us a little bit longer to get there. I think it feels harder on this one, maybe because we're at the end of it, like we're coming to the end of it. And I think also because, especially in the UK, it was summer last time we did it. So it was like, this is a bit of a novelty. We can just go in the garden. And and now it's like minus one. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not fun. And queuing for the supermarket before you could get a tan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) to a podcast, life's good now it's freezing and you're just hoping you can feel your hands (laughs) yeah exactly I think there's something to be to be learned from it all though like I'm really trying to take from it how grateful I am when I can actually do things like when I was in Dubai I had never had such a sort of really grateful holiday like every little thing I did I was like I'm 
I couldn't do this normally. I'm so grateful that I'm able to do this. And I think maybe what it's taught us all is to be more grateful for the things we took for granted all the time. And um, I'm trying to go into it with that attitude. Absolutely. And I think it's hard to keep the momentum going of the gratitude. But right at the beginning, there was a huge appreciation of the nasty stuff that was going on in the world, but also being able to slow down. I mean, have you ever seen so many people walking in nature? I've never walked in nature, like ever. It's the first time ever that I've gone for a walk to not go to a pub, but just to go for a walk for the walk's sake. I'm not sure I've ever done that before in my life. I think there are many people out there that in the same boat. Whereas now it's an everyday occurrence. Yeah, it's completely normal. And that, and that is a good thing. And it's a good, yeah. like, you know, like I'm moaning about the kids being here. I can see what they're doing school-wise. Like I can see the things they're learning. And I would never get that opportunity normally to spend that kind of time with them and to teach them things myself. And so I'm trying to be grateful for those things, knowing that one day we will look back on this and go, God, do you remember those weird couple of years when we did, you know, everything was really different and we really moaned about it. But since when... Have we ever been able to spend that much time outside with the kids doing completely different things, reading a book, binge watching Netflix, you know, all of those things that we probably won't do this in the same way ever again? No, exactly. And I I mean, I remember thinking at the beginning, you know, you work so hard to get what you've got. It's that appreciation of living in that space and appreciating that as well. Yeah. But I know that there's a ceiling to a lot of this. (laughs) My ceiling is coming. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I want to go into really a little bit about your journey and then ask you a few more sort of practical questions that I know my listeners are sort of gagging to hear from you. But tell me just in general, what is a day in the life look like for you? It's really different all the time. And and when I kind of worked out what I want my life to look like and therefore what business I needed, um, one of the things that I really needed is variety. I get bored very quickly. And so having a day that isn't ever the same as the day before is imperative for me. And that's kind of what's happened. So like today, um, just looking at my diary here, things I've done today. So I've done an hour's worth of um, like consulting with somebody. I'm doing this podcast and then I've got group coaching with 97 people um, straight after this and then I've got nothing all afternoon and then this evening I am doing uh, I've got a mastermind called Destination Inspiration and I'm doing the orientation for that whereas tomorrow I've got three hours with a health coach I've got some I've got to basically write a presentation for something big that's coming on Friday and then I'm doing a bit of my book so it's like every day is completely different but that's what I wanted it to be if I had to do the same and and if I'm honest in that first year of starting this business I had a lot of one-to-ones and every day started to feel quite similar and it put me right off (laughs) that's why I said I'm not doing one-to-ones anymore that's not happening Um, because you have to have a life I think you have to have a business that suits your life not the other way around I think if you're going to leave a corporate job which I want to get into I know that's what you did do and start something of your own you do it because you love it and you love the the journey of it and you know that there's hard parts and you know that there's bits that you don't want to do but you're going to have to do initially but it's knowing that that journey can start to evolve into something that is far more the way that you saw it right at the beginning Exactly that. And that you're getting something at the end of it. Like I often felt, okay, well, I'm doing these one-to-ones and that's going to get me money, which is great. And then I'll do more one-to-ones and that's going to get me money. But money is a big motivator for me, but it's never been the only one. I have to have more 
than that. There has to be more to it than that for me to stay interested. I completely agree. You've got to have that inertia to feel the passion of, I mean, for us, it's about helping people and giving yeah. value. So it's it's definitely that that drives through and money is like a nice benefit on yeah. the side. Tell me your story. I want to hear about your journey from the corporate world and then moving into your wedding business and going into a business really that I suppose for a lot of people is relatively new. Lots of people have heard of passive income and that side of it. So take us through that journey. Yeah. So I was in corporate, like you said, I was doing, um, I was in investment banking and I was climbing that ladder as a risk analyst. And um, then in my thirties, I accidentally got pregnant with twins. I don't know if you can say accidentally, but I I was suddenly pregnant with twins. Um, And uh, that wasn't on the plan. You know, kids weren't on the plan, if I'm honest. And um, so I had to kind of rewrite everything and go, okay, how is this going to work? Going through a divorce at the same time. And so for me, it was like, well, I either, at first, if I'm honest, I thought, well, I'll carry on. I'll just carry on doing what I'm doing and they'll fit into my life, Um, which is ridiculous now that I look back. But it felt like that could happen. So at five months old, I went back to work. Um, I was in Canary Wharf at the time and I was working from six o'clock in the morning until like 10 o'clock at night and it just wasn't going to work. I was never going to see them. And and actually, I wanted to be around them more than I had thought that I would want to be around kids. Um, And so I decided the best thing to do would be to get a job near my house, much more of a sort of nine o'clock till four o'clock kind of role so I could see them before and after. But there aren't many jobs of the kind of caliber that I had at that point. And so I took a job as a PA, which was the first job I'd ever had, like office junior PA kind of work. Um, And so I went back to doing that, which obviously meant slashing my salary by a good amount. Like it it was something like a fifth, if I remember rightly. And so I started as a PA. It was great. I got to see the kids. But... And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed being in an office. But I was really bored. I was doing, you know, I wasn't really doing that much. I was sorting out somebody else's life. And then the rest of the time I was playing on the internet. And so I thought there must be something more productive I could be doing in this time. And so I thought, you know what, I'll start a business, which was crazy. Like no one I knew had a business. I come from a council estate in Lincolnshire. Like I didn't grow up knowing entrepreneurs in, in any way. And so I thought, well, what can I do? Like, let's have a look online, did a bit of research, saw people starting businesses. It was the first time I'd sort of looked online for this kind of thing. And thought I'll become a wedding planner because I like organizing things. And, you know, I've planned my own wedding and so that's what I did and I started this business I was good at the actual wedding planning but I wasn't very good at business Um, I didn't really know what I was doing and although I got lots of weddings in by the end of the year I had a new boyfriend and we sat down and said can I leave my nine to five and he worked it all out and he was like well you're earning about one pound 15 an hour so you're never going to be leaving your nine to five and so in my head I was like I either have to change things now and really work out how to run a business so that I can make some money because I was 30,000 in debt at this point because of me having to leave quite a decent job 
or I just need to suck it up and say, you know what, you're not going to have the extraordinary life that you wanted. Instead, you're going to do your nine to five. You're going to live hand to mouth like you always have. So you know how to do that. But you're going to see your kids um, in for a penny and for a pound. I was already 30 grand in debt. I spent another five grand and got a business coach to teach me the basics, the very basics of business. You know, the stuff, ideal client, money mindset, how to write a strategy. I didn't know any of that. And within about five months, I turned the wedding business around to become one of the biggest urban wedding planning companies, if not the biggest in the UK, um, and was making a decent profit with wedding planning. You don't ever make a giant profit, but I was making a decent profit um, that was bringing in money um, over and above what my salary was. Um, and so that was good for a while. And for a couple of years, that's what I did. I left my job and I, I actually stayed in my job for another year after that because I could do the wedding planning in between because I wasn't very busy. Um, I was bringing up the boys who were toddlers and then thought, you know, it's getting a bit too much now. I will leave the job, just do the wedding planning. Um, and we did that for a while. And my husband, who I got married and my husband kind of helped out a little bit. He was still working um, his nine to five. And then people were asking me constantly, how did you do this? You know, how did you know your ideal client? How did you manage to make this kind of money? And I, by then, was one of those people that just read every book on business. Like, I was really into it. I was going to all the webinars. I was on the, in the online world. I was, you know, watching everything and, and soaking everything up and realized that actually I had a way of explaining to people business without all the jargon and without making it complicated so I started telling them what to do and they started making a lot of money and then other people would come to me that weren't in the wedding industry and ask me questions and I'd tell them what to do and they'd start making money and organically I kind of became this person that was helping people's businesses and so about nearly four years ago I decided that actually that was my passion, not the wedding planning. What I really loved was helping these people to make more money and to actually market their businesses properly. So I started Lisa Johnson Coaching. Um, I shouldn't really have called it coaching. I'm not a coach. A coach helps people work out their own answers. I tell people exactly what to do. I'm a consultant, <laughs> if anything. But I didn't know that at the time. Called myself a coach and then started this business. And this time, everything changed because I knew because I'd learned so much about business I knew what to do I knew how to make it successful really quickly so in the first six months I hit six figures in profit and in the first year I hit 220,000 in the second year a million and it just you know we're now on I'm three years in and we're on three million a year and it has just always worked out okay everything hasn't always gone perfectly there's been lots of bad stuff that's happened, things that I've got, you know, mistakes that I've made um, and all of that kind of thing. But generally, things have worked out how I've wanted them to. And I think it's just because I had the right basics in place. But what did happen was after a year, I realised I had the wrong business model because I was working really hard and I was starting to get back to that working from six o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night thing which is what I'd left my nine to five like so I didn't have to do that and I was doing it again and I wasn't seeing the kids again and so started looking at other business models and what could work and that's when I stumbled across passive and semi-passive income streams and from from year two if you look at the 
like if I look at my business model at the end of year two, I was doing mainly one-to-one and I was working around 80 hours a week by the end of it. And I was making a, a good profit of 220,000. But then a year later when I'd learned everything there was to know about passive and semi-passive income and added them into my business, it was just one year on and I was working 30 hours a month, sometimes 24 hours a month. And I was making over a million. So that was the turning point for the business um, and for my life becoming a hell of a lot easier. And what is the difference between passive income and actually for anyone out there who doesn't know what passive income is, what is that? And what is the difference between passive income and semi-passive income? Yeah, that's a really good question. So passive income just means, I mean, there's loads of different definitions of it out there. The one that I don't want you to think it is, is passive. (laughs) Because that sounds like you'd have to do anything. You do have to, you have to work really hard at the beginning to do things like grow an audience. So it's, it's about building an asset up front and then making money from it time and time again. The easiest way to think of it is no longer trading time for money. So in a normal situation with trade time for money, like let's say you're a branding designer, you would do someone's website and you would get paid for it. You would then do somebody else's website, you'd get paid for it. So every time you spend your time doing something, you get paid for it. When you have a passive income or a semi-passive income model, you're leveraging that time. So for instance, two of my passive income streams, one's a course. So if I write a course, I'm doing the hard work up front, you know, the course is there, it's written. Um, the first time that I deliver it is going to be the hardest time because it's the first time and I'm probably doing it as I go along, which is what I mainly do. But then once it's done, I can put that on my website. Someone could come and buy it and I will literally make money while I'm asleep and not have to do anything because it's already done. They go away and do it. Or I could have, like I have a jewellery range on my website at the moment and somebody buys the jewellery. The jewellery designer, who isn't me, goes and makes it sends it to them, invoices them, and I get a cut because it's on my website. So that's completely passive. Now, the difference between semi-passive and passive, semi-passive, you're giving some time, but it's still leveraged. So if you think about that course that we talked about that I have, it's 10 modules. And what I used to do with it is just put it on my website and people would buy it. Completely passive. Hooray, this is great. However, I had no idea whether people were getting results or not. I had no idea if it was a good course, if people were changing their lives. And that bothered me in an integrity point of view. So what I did instead is I now deliver it live. So over the space of 10 months, I will go on once a month and I will do an hour. And it's already written. You know, the workbook's already there. The PowerPoint's already written, but I'll deliver it live so they can ask questions. Because if I turn up, they're going to turn up. So they're more likely to get to the end of a course, which most people don't do. And so they don't get the results. So that means that normally for 10 hours work, that takes me 10 hours to deliver that entire course. Um, If somebody came to work with me one-to-one for 10 hours, I could probably make around 20,000. If I do that 10 hours over that course, I'll make around 500,000. So it's leveraging your time. So it's basically going from the one-to-one model usually to one-to-many with a few exceptions. You mentioned earlier just about integrity and I read something that you sent out about a week ago just about integrity online and other people probably doing courses or coaching or whatever it is that you felt didn't have the integrity. Do you come across that a lot? And if so, what are the telltale signs of someone doing that, that you think, okay, well, I'll just hold back on this particular person? It's been a real struggle for me since I started in this industry. I feel like I'm in an industry 
that most of the time I don't agree with and I don't gel with. And because of that, it's always been a struggle. I've always had to fight against the industry and my peers a lot of the time. Um, I feel sometimes, I said this last week, I feel sometimes like a, a, a bank robber that doesn't like crime. It's like I'm in the industry, but I almost don't want to be part of how it's being run at the moment. I see a lot of it. Um, right from the beginning, I, the first thing I did was got a business coach um, in my first year that charged me around 30000 which is a huge amount at that time. Um, and I got nothing out of it because it was all, she didn't know anything. It was all sell. It was all very loud, but actually there was nothing beneath it. And, and the same, in the same year, I lost 27000 to a Facebook ads manager who was really good at marketing to us but then wasn't very good at delivery and I learned a lot I learned about due diligence in both of those situations but we see a lot of stuff online now that just makes me really uncomfortable um things like caring more about the sell than about the delivery caring more about people selling things for you than about the product the whole pyramid scheme of of coaches coaching coaches to coach coaches to become coaches I don't love it um I don't like it when people do the really hard sell, the if you believed in your business, you would take out a loan for this. During our affiliate launch, we wouldn't allow anybody to get into debt to buy our products. I don't believe that people should be getting into debt for these things. I know it's a personal choice, but it makes me feel really uncomfortable when I see people telling people to remortgage their houses to take on their course. Um, I don't love the whole do a, a boot camp and then everyone run to the back of the room and buy the product there's only 20 available and you have to do it now and when someone asks if they can if they you know I need 10 minutes to just speak to my husband about it you shouldn't be speaking to your husband you're not really a, a business owner if you have to ask your husband none of that is in integrity to me now I know that we all have very different levels of where integrity is I get that my integrity level is much higher than most people's but that's because I've been on the other end of it um many times and you know I just think that things can be done differently in this industry and I think that for a couple of years I battled against it calling out bad practices um when people were doing things wrong the bullying that there is online in this industry is, is rife and yet no one talks about it um there's so much there where people talk about community over competition but they don't mean it it's just nice words to say because it will attract certain clients who want that mm -hmm. but what they mean is community over competition until the competition comes along and it shouldn't be like that. It should be that we all help each other rise. And having been on the end of that bullying online for, for quite some time now in this industry, because I do trigger people by calling out the crap in this industry, um, I realise that there's no point to keep calling it out. The only thing I can actually do is to be the change, to be the person that shows that you can do a launch, make a hell of a lot of money and don't have bad practices in it. So in October, we decided to, to put our money where our mouth was, do an affiliate launch with no bad practices, none of the you must buy now, no trying to close while we're on a sales call, let them go away and think about it. Um, all of the things that we'd seen, we did the opposite, very, very vocally told people not to buy if it was going to mean that they wouldn't be able to afford essentials. We're in a pandemic, for God's sake, you know, they shouldn't be buying courses if they can't afford their usual living expenses. Um, and we did that and we did a $2 million launch. 
And I think we proved that you do not have to be a sleazy marketer in this industry to make money. And if that has a ripple effect, which I hope it will, of everybody that, that saw and everybody that I'm now teaching, then that I will have done my job. Well, I think people are growing in becoming far more savvy. I think when you see it time and time again, especially if you're trying to build your online business, you're seeing a pattern occur. And it's that pattern that you know, actually, this is not where I want to be. I fully agree with you. Whenever I'm talking to potential clients, I'm like, you don't make a decision now. You go and think about it. Because the last thing that I want to do is have what has happened to me in the past, which is, you're forced into a decision. Admittedly, I'm a coach and the only way I'm forced is the way that I think about it. But I feel sort of, I've got to get this now. I've got to get it now. Yeah, you're on the spot. And if you don't get it now, you're going to lose it. And then you get it and it costs tens of thousands. And then 10 days later, or even two days later, you're thinking, what have I done? That's the last thing I would want the people that work with me to feel. That's the last thing that I will allow myself to be put into again. But I think sometimes you have to make the mistake in order to either rectify it in the future uh, for other people and yourself, or just so that you know, right, this is what I can afford. I'm going to shop around and I don't care who's trying to sell me what. Yeah. And I think that for, for some of us, we get there quite quickly. Like i was very savvy very quickly after that first year and was very good at due diligence and I wouldn't let anyone push me around but for others it can be a really hard lesson to learn and you know those boundaries that people put in place can be hard to do when you've got some these people know how to sell you know they've learned NLP on how to make you feel emotionally guilty for to say no um and it shouldn't be that way um yeah I just I feel like there's a lot out there that can be changed, but I I get that the reason people do them is because they're taught this is the way to make money, this is the way to make your business work. And if they're taught by their mentors that the best way to do it is the hard sell, is the, you know, putting pressure on and all of that kind of thing, then that's what they're going to do because they don't know any other way. But if they can see that there's another way, that you don't have to do it that way, then there'll be more people because I think most people don't want to do the hard sell. Most people already feel sleazy enough selling online without having to do that. I think what's different online is if you're selling to a person in a marketplace, for example, you kind of know those people, you know their mentality. When you sell online, you're speaking to people all across the world who have different ways of looking at things. So you're sort of gauging either different competition or different mentalities. And I think that's quite tricky along the way. It's tricky. And I think as well, what we've got to remember is we want long-term sustainable businesses. We don't want flash-in-the-pan businesses. And, And the more we are like care about the sale more than the result, the the shorter your business is going to be because word gets around um you know if I think about my business the only reason it is as successful as it is is because the people that get results shout about it a lot online and they tell other people who then come and get results and they shout about it a lot if I didn't have that if I was one of those people that just sold and didn't really care about the results which is what I see out there a lot of the time I don't understand how the business model continues like eventually no one's going to buy from you 
your reputation precedes you and people talk whether they're local or whether it's online so I agree with you on that point talk to me about money because it's very British of us not to talk about money and I think what is a real draw makes you stand out is being open about it it's something that you know I was trained with a US coaching school and it's very open talking about money in that environment is very open to find someone in the UK who talks about it just as freely in such a way that it's possible I feel that's such a a draw did you find it hard at the beginning to step over some mental barriers with that or did it come naturally yeah so weirdly I didn't find it hard but maybe as well because I'd been taught mainly by US mentors and so it came quite easily to me however it very quickly became apparent that it would repel as much as attract (laughs) so the most amount of stick I get online is for talking about money Um, I talk about money a lot I want people to see what's possible especially people who come from a background like I did because I know that if I hadn't seen other people talking about how much money they were making and where they came from I wouldn't think it was a would have been possible for me because I always used to give the excuse like yeah but that's okay for them because they probably had money at the beginning that's okay for them because they probably came from a place of money and they used to you know that's okay for them they don't have kids and I would tell myself all of these things it was only when I saw people who actually were a little bit like me and where I came from earning a lot of money that I realized it was possible and that's how I made it and so for me um it outweighs the amount of nasty emails I get telling me that it's real good to talk about money and that I'm a show off. The, it outweighs the amount of people that come to me and say, thank you, I didn't think it was possible until you started talking about it and now I'm on my way. Um, and that's more important to me. So it will always repel and attract in equal measure. But one of the things that I knew I wanted to do is not just show, I show my bank statements, you've seen, I show my my Stripe payments online because I'm very cynical when people say that they are earning six, seven, whatever. Um, I've always been really cynical about it because I've known people in this industry that have clearly lied about it. And so I wanted to make it so that no one could be cynical. Like I will show them it's true. But then I realized that actually that wasn't all I wanted to do. There's no point showing that information unless you're going to show the background behind it. So what I do now is I post it and I show where it's come from, what, you know, what income streams that came from and why, what I would have done differently, all of those kind of things so that people can actually learn from it, not just know that it's true. I think the evidence is always a big pull. Even though you have people who are cynical, people are curious as well. I know from people who have been in multi-level marketing, for example, I've seen and and heard people say, well, I made her show me her bank statement because I want to know that this is possible. And whether you're into multi-level marketing or not into it, you want that proof. You want that piece of paper to say, if I'm going to put my money where this person is, I want to see that statement. And people say to me all the time, well, it shouldn't matter if you've made that money or not. Why do we care whether you've made the money? I'm like... I wouldn't go to a personal trainer that was obese. I just wouldn't because I would want to know that if they could do it for them, they're likely to do it for me. I wouldn't go to a, a hairdresser that has really bad hair. <laughs> you know, you just wouldn't. It's, yeah. it's human nature that we want to go to somebody that's already been there and done that and emulate those results. And so I have to show these things because otherwise 
you know, I don't want someone to trust me with their money and help them make money if, if they can't see that I can do the same for me and my own clients. No, I completely agree. What would you say to someone who is starting up their own business? In fact, before you answer that question, what is the sector that you mainly attract, do you feel? that follow it's, you, that join your courses? Is there a particular sector? No, it's really varied. At the beginning, like three years ago, I'd say it was wedding industry because that's where I came from. And so they're the people that knew me. Then I had like the coaching industry for a while. And now it seems to be a real, I mean, I have personal uh, private investigators on there. Like I have a dog walker. I have people that are tutors online, memberships for for all sorts of things from cooking to parenting to theatre, like so many different types of people. I think the main the main kind of pattern is people that have knowledge about something and don't know how to sell that knowledge. They're the people that come to me. What's like the one key thing that you would say to someone who's starting out in business? Be prepared to be consistent. Um, the sexy bit that you see online, you know, all the fun stuff, or the the writing the content and the great photo shoots and all the, the traveling and all the stuff you see out there that's not the bit that makes you money the bit that makes you money is consistency you know putting out content every week showing up for your audience learning more about what you do it's sending an email every single week without fail all of those unsexy things are the things that are going to bring you in the money. So like, don't be fooled by all of the curated stuff that you see online. And I think with that, it's also about knowing that it doesn't come like that. That consistency is only shown three, four months down the road where people can rely on your content coming in to... Or longer. Oh, yeah, longer than that. But as a minimum, depending on how many avenues you're, you're touching them from, it's definitely something that I hear a lot of my clients say, but it's not working. I'm like, yeah, that's because you've been doing it for two months and you're yeah. sending out one email a week. So it's <laughs> not working because the consistency goes much further than just a couple of months. It, it's, that's really true. And I think that the biggest thing that really hit home with me is that if we go back even 10 years, probably even less than that, people used to say, if we break even on year three, we're doing all right in business. And now I think it's really funny that if we don't make six figures within three months, we've failed. It's ridiculous. And that's because of all the stuff that we're seeing out there, the pretense of overnight success, which doesn't exist for anybody. Um, it's about the consistency that was put in for the five years before you saw them visible with the overnight success. And that consistency needs to be so much longer. Some of my clients make money within three months. Most make big amounts of money within a year. Like, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme, passive income. It's a, a long, sustainable business goal. Yeah. You're also, you've got a lot of press that you've done. How did you get into that? Again, I have a lot of clients who want to go down that path too. And I think one of the questions that often gets asked is, well, well how do I get interviewed for this magazine? Or how do I go on and do a TED Talk? What yeah. would you say to that? I think a lot of it is about being open to opportunities but not waiting them for them to come to you so I've not really done that successfully with people pitching on my behalf to things the the big things that I've got Forbes and Red Magazine Psychology the TEDx have all been done by me 
So I think it's it, you just pit, you just find where you want to be, where you think you can offer value, and you literally. I've literally just emailed them and said, I would love to write an article on this. I think it would go in this section. Um, I really liked the article that you did last week on this. And I think this follows on from it. Um, what do you think? And, th and that's how I've got most things. It's about building relationships as well with people who write for these magazines and people who are hosting the TEDx talks, like build those relationships, help them out. Now, if you see that they've written an article for somebody else in Forbes, share it with everybody so that they can see that you're not just out for yourself. You know, it has to be a two way street. You have to be able to build relationships properly and genuinely and not just because you want something. Has there been one particular interview or article that has meant quite a lot to you, like changed things for you? Um, Forbes got me out there a, a bit more than the rest because it went viral and we had 250,000 views in a week. So that was pretty cool. Um, it was interestingly enough, I was in The Guardian. So, I mean, all these different magazines, yeah, and, and podcasts and all these things. And, and I think my family, especially my dad's, um, in his old-fashioned ways, thought that I just sort of played on the internet for money. Like, it wasn't a real business. And then I was in The Guardian, and suddenly, because I'm in The Guardian, all of, like, my, my family, it's like, oh, okay, she has an actual business. She must be something. It doesn't matter about all the other places I've been in, but it was in The Guardian, so it is funny. Um, that's, that probably made people sort of take me a bit more seriously, if nothing else. But I think that Actually, with articles, people often think that if I get into this one place, it will be the making of me and more people will come. And it isn't about that. Again, it's the cumulative effect of you being in lots of different places where your ideal clients can see you. So podcast wise, people always say, is there one podcast that's really helped? There isn't. It's being on 50 podcasts every few months that helps yeah. because then you you spread yourself to more audience. So that again is about consistency. You can say, well, I've got the, you know, I was on Entrepreneur on Fire. So I could say, well, I've got the biggest podcast with the most listeners out there. That didn't bring me any more than say Janet Murray's who less people listen to, but a lot more of my ideal client. So it's yeah. about, you know, being really strategic about where you want to be, but not discounting places that you think are, are smaller because they're not necessarily with your ideal client in and, and depends where they're hanging out. Do you know what? It's so funny also that you talk about parents. I was going to ask you about that, friends and families. I said to my mum actually the other day, I said, I feel like I'm at the end of the beginning of what's coming. You know, it's really interesting. I remember telling my dad, because I was in events as well, I remember saying, you know, I'm leaving this and I was earning good money and I'm going to start this online business. And I don't think he was that impressed, actually. <laughs> and it wasn't until a few months ago, and I was talking to him about something, I was on BBC radio, and he was suddenly very, very interested. Well, tell me a little bit more about what it is that you're doing. And I feel like with either friends or family, there comes a certain point where you're either in The Guardian <laughs> yeah. or, you're in, or you've done something that has resonated with them, that they suddenly think that, you're doing something a little bit more serious than just playing around on the internet. Definitely. I think that the, the 2020 pandemic year was the year for that with me because I'm not well known. I'm quite like a under the radar person. Like people always mention big names and I don't know who they are because I don't really get involved with that side of the business. I just plod along and do my own thing. And then obviously 2020, everyone expected that business would go down 
for people like me who were online and, and mine didn't. And also I kind of stepped up as a leader because I need panic to be really good at what I do. And when everybody else was kind of panicking and not knowing what to do, that was my cue. Like I straight away w- was able to become the best version of myself to help them. Um, and so I became a lot more visible in 2020. And then because of that, you know, we launched twice and, and one made 1.7 million and, and one made 450,000. And that bought some different kind of attention you know like she's not just playing here she's making big amounts of money um, that can do a lot of good and that's when I think my especially my friends realized that what I was doing was going to have an impact on people and was going to help people and me (laughs) my family was going to change yeah Um, and that it could be long lasting and that's a good thing because the more we show that the more people won't be so scared to start these things that you can often feel like you're you're flogging a dead horse and it takes so long sometimes to get where you want to be that you feel like giving up but people have seen me in this game for like three and a half years until it I got any kind of what I would call big results. Do you think that it's advisable, wise to do things like one-on-ones before you go into the passive income space, just so that you start to build that knowledge of knowing what your clients want? Yeah, I think it depends what business model you want. I'm getting more and more people coming to me that never want to do one-to-one. So they have a knowledge about whatever their subject is, and they want to teach it, but they don't want to teach it one-to-one. So they go straight into a passive income model and teach a group at the same time. And I think that's fine. One-to-one can give you confidence at the beginning, like to to really know. It can also help you know what your clients want because you'll find the same questions being asked over and over again. Um, But you can also get that if you have an audience in a Facebook group. So, you know, it doesn't have to be done from there. I think it really depends on your life. Some of my clients love one-to-one. They would never want to completely give up one-to-one even if they have a passive income stream. That's just another stream. They still want to do their one-to-ones. Some people just never, ever do. And as you've grown and you started to build a team, and get people working with you. When did that start for you and how big's your team now? Started six months ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have a team until I made seven figures already. I wanted to do it all myself. I didn't spend any money on Facebook ads until I hit seven figures or affiliates or anything like that. I just wanted to see how much I could do organically. And um, it was working really well. And then I got to a stage just after we hit seven figures where I was like, that I could now go down a path of doing, carry on doing all the stuff myself, but it's going to mean I'm working a lot more hours. And the whole point of this business is not to do that. So first my sister came on board and she does my social media. Um, she wasn't the social media manager. I just taught her how to do it. So now she does that. My husband writes my copy. And then lastly, we got uh, Zoe, who is our operations manager on board, who does everything (laughs) and we've just taken on actually a customer services manager as well to help with the customer service side and I now have Facebook ads so I have a Facebook ads manager freelance. How does it all feel because it's all been your baby and now you're like passing parts of it off and even though it's like freeing you up does it give you anxiety? Terrifying at the beginning yeah Um, because you don't you know what you're doing you've done it and you know it works and 
I knew that if I was going to hand things off, I wanted people to be able to do it their way, not my way, mm -hmm. and to look and see if there are better ways, because it's only me, you know, like other people can find better ways. And especially with Zoe, like this kind of stuff is her zone of genius, not mine. And so to make her do things my way would never have worked. So she's kind of come in, looked around and gone, well, let's try this, let's try this. And there is an element of you that has to, as a CEO, allow people to try things, even if it means you're going to lose money or make mistakes. Because I want a team that's not scared of being innovators and pioneers in this industry. We like to be first with things. And if, we, if we're going to be first with things, it means you have to let people fail at things. So it's been interesting having to take on that role as a CEO, because that's not what I ever thought I would need to do. Um, I quite like parts of it. I'm not very good at managing people, which is why, I, you know, Zoe's a great person to have in between me and everybody else. Yeah. Um, because that's not what I'm good at. I'm good at rewarding, but I'm just not very good at sort of the, how are you getting on? Is everything all right? So I'm just not. I'm yeah. a bit like, right, you go and do your thing. I'll do my thing and, and, and it will work. Um, but we seem to have managed somehow to have an amazing team that has, you know, doubled the revenue very quickly. Do you ever feel like you've got that imposter syndrome? I know so many people in this industry do. You know, from being right at the beginning three, four years ago for you to now, has that changed at all? Has it got worse? Has it like... It's the same. I always get it. I get imposter syndrome all the time. I get... I don't know whether... I, I don't love the words imposter syndrome because I feel like if you give it a name, it allows you to not do things yeah and go well it's not my fault I've got imposter syndrome when actually all it is is we're doing new things all the time of course we're going to feel like this of course we're going to feel like the new girl at school um it's new to us like we're going to feel like we haven't got the confidence that we're going to have when we've done it a lot and that's really normal um so yeah I feel like it I still have money mindset issues on a daily basis like those things don't go away you have to work at those things all the time and because of how sort of quickly things changed you know from only four years ago being in debt to now my mindset has taken longer to catch up than the business has so like I can do the strategy and I can put things in place and I can get a team in place and that's all easy to me my mindset piece isn't easy to me it's taken me longer to feel comfortable where I am do you know what? I just think that's good for people to know because you've got such a great following. And even though you don't think you're that known, I think in certain communities you are really well known. So, <laughs> But yeah, I think from definitely my listeners point of view, they would be very interested to know that they're not alone. And no matter what stage they're at, they're still going to get it. <laughs> yeah. And I wish somebody had said to me, like, don't try and like, I think we all have this thing where we try and go, well, I will feel like I'm successful when I get to 2,000 a month. I will feel successful when I have my first team member. I will feel successful when I'm in Forbes. Oh, none of those things will ever make you feel successful. You are already successful. It's those things are just markers. And actually, unless you enjoy the journey of getting to those markers, you may as well quit now because as soon as you get to one, you will want something else. So you will never feel happy if you're just striving to get to a marker. You have to enjoy what you're doing along the way. And I also think it's important to celebrate those points too, because going into something like Forbes or reaching seven figures or reaching six figures or reaching two, you know, thousand a month, whatever the point is, you haven't done it before. So yeah. 
it's when you get to it, you're like, oh, well, then everyone can do it. If I've done it, everyone can do it. Let's just move on. We're like, what else can I do? What else can I do? And actually to stand back and say, you know what? I did bloody well there and I'm really, really proud of myself. Okay, let's appreciate that. But what's next? I'm bad at that. I have a couple of coaches, but one of them says you just need to start celebrating the little wins because then you can really appreciate how much you've worked to get to that point and... Then it's really important to, and, and they never do. And I'm, I'm getting better at it, at stopping and going, actually, not everyone has done this. You know, it's okay to celebrate it before you decide the next thing you want is this other thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm getting better. <laughs> you have to become very conscious about the process, that's for sure. Yeah. I have a few more direct questions, more practical questions for you, just to end with. And then we've got a few sort of quick fire round questions, if that's all right with you. Do you have three tips for us for people starting their own Facebook group? Yeah, three tips would be know exactly who you want in that Facebook group. Don't just start a Facebook group up and let anybody, everybody in. Like let the people in that are going to be your ideal clients because they're the only people you want to sell to. Um, be consistent with it. Don't start a Facebook group up, do some stuff for two weeks, then get bored and go away and expect them to still be there waiting for you three weeks later like you need to be consistent the whole time and three when you've got people in a Facebook group I think what people do a lot of the time is they start thinking oh I need to grow it more I need to grow it more and you do you need to grow your Facebook group and they forget about the people already in there even if you only have 10 people in that Facebook group that's like you having 10 people around your kitchen table to have a sales conversation with that doesn't seem quite so small anymore when you think about it like that so always remember the people in there are people you need to be nurturing and talking to how important is an email list more important than anything else in your business and I didn't realize that until a year and a half into my business Um, I grew Facebook groups and that's great I've done really well with Facebook groups I've done really well with Instagram it wasn't until my email list started growing that I saw a big trajectory you know we went from 2,000 to 20,000 people on my email list in a year and that's why the business went from six figures to multi-seven and what would you say is like the key tip that you would have in terms of content for email? Stop, don't try and give value all the time. Like it's not about, people don't read an email because they need to learn stuff all the time. I think if you can just be you and show your personality in it, I mean, I don't know whether you've seen any of my emails, but they're just, they're just me telling random stories about things that have happened to me that week. And, and what lessons I learned from them. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're pretty dark, um, but they're just real. And I think that's more important than here are five steps that you need to know about passive income. Just far more relatable, almost like a, would you say like a, a magazine article? Yeah, just like as if you're emailing a friend. I think that's a great piece of advice. So what's on the cards for you for this year? There's a lot going on. So I've got my <laughs> TEDx talk in March, if that continues. Uh, I am talking to people about book deals at the moment i'm going to necker island to hang out with richard branson in september of course you are (laughs) um there's a lot going on i've I've a few trips planned um i have one to many which is my big flagship uh program is out in june we've decided to take it once a year instead of twice a year so it's going to be even bigger each year um But yeah, there's a lot happening and it's all quite fun stuff. Um, I just need to 
this lockdown to go away so I can travel. <laughs> <laughs> so you can do the fun stuff and travel yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want people to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm just going to ask you some quick fire rounds and then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. So what is your favorite thing to do? I love going to the cinema and I love traveling. They're my two things. Okay. Winter or summer? Summer. <laughs> Starbucks or Costa? I haven't drunk tea or coffee in my life because I grew up a Mormon. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this one derived from one of your Insta stories this morning. Plank or burpees? Plank. Burpees are really hard. Yeah. I tried them last year and I can't even do them. The plank I can do for about four seconds. So I'm well, going with that. That's better than a lot of us. Early riser or night owl? Early riser. I've got twins. It's always going to be that. Favourite music genre? Pop. Bit of Britney. I'm happy. Oh, yeah, Britney. And <laughs> finally, two role models that you have. Oh, so many. Um, my dad, who came from Malta at a young age and then just worked really hard to give us a life he was a single father with us when we were younger um so he his work ethic is what has given me my work ethic so I always look up to him um my kids um, one of my twins Albert is uh gender neutral should we say he's decided he doesn't necessarily want to be a boy he's got long hair and he wears dresses and every time I worry about him and what people think of him he laughs in my face and tells me he really doesn't give a damn what anybody thinks of him and why can't I see that it, only his opinion of him matters. And I wish I had learned that even 10 years ago, let alone 30. That's pretty incredible. But my role models are all around me. I do take a lot of, um, I take a lot of things from a lot of people. You know, people teach me stuff. My, my mentors teach me stuff. People I see online all the time. But I think that, role models really need to be people that have given you something that stays with you. Lisa, on that note, I just want to thank you for such great insight for this past hour. Um, I've absolutely really loved talking fun. to you. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> I honestly, I could talk to you for hours, but I know that you have other things to do. And um, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on this podcast with me. Well, thanks for having me.